So please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. And as you do that, let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And that he saves us. He does not leave us in our sin. But that he saves us from the power of sin. And that he shows us what it means to walk a life that is honoring to you. And God, I pray that as we read your word today, that you would uh, show us things that are helpful. That, that we would be able to learn what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Well, uh, I really like this passage. It's a familiar passage, as, as I'm sure many of you will realize as we start to dig into it. But I have a little bit of a different view on this passage than maybe a lot of people do. See, I, I see uh, Jesus acting as almost like a covert agent. Um, in my mind, I see the scene from, now this might date me a little bit, but I see the scene from Delta Force when Chuck Norris is like coming up out of the water all slowly. That's, what, that's the image that I get in my mind, is Jesus sneaking behind enemy lines to free prisoners that are held captive by an evil empire. That, that, that's the image that I get in my mind. And I, I hope as we uh, uh, dig into this, you, you begin to see that. And you begin to see that in many ways. Uh, when we're called to follow Jesus, that we're also called to, to operate in this, in this covert way. Uh, you, you heard Joe talk about it a, a few weeks ago about being subversive and that Jesus was subversive. In other words, uh, he was operating in a way to subvert the power of the world as he freed people from it. It's this idea that uh, is popularized by Eugene Peterson in, uh, in the book, The Contemplative Pastor, as uh, Pastor Joe made reference to. But I, I hope as we dig in that you begin to see that a little bit um, and, you, and you begin to see yourself as being able to, to follow after Jesus in his footsteps and operate in the same kind of a way. As we dig in, you're going to see several things. One of the things that you're going to see is you're going to see the state of a man that is being held captive by evil spirits. The state of a man that's held captive by evil spirits. You're going to see that Jesus displays his power when he frees that man. When he frees that man of captivity. And you're going to see the response to God's power. How do people respond to it? And then we're going to ask the questions, how, how do we respond to it? And then we'll talk about uh, what we can do to, to walk in the manner that Jesus is showing us. So, with that, let's go ahead and, uh, and, and dig in. Uh, Mark chapter 5. And as we approach this, you'll remember uh, the path that we've taken in the book of Mark so far. Uh, that Jesus has called the disciples. Uh, and he calls them and just says, follow me. And he commissions them in, in chapter 3 uh, to be near to him, to be with him, and that they would go out and share the gospel. So he commissions them. And uh, 
they're, they're brought in closely. They're, they're part of this inside group that they hear the parables, but they also receive private teaching from Jesus. And they see the miracles taking place. And you'll recall from last week that they boarded this vessel and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm arises, right? And even after all of that training and seeing uh, Jesus' miracles, they fear. And that passage ends with the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And I made a point last week to point out that, that uh, that's always been God. Always God is the one who the wind and the waves obey. And you see that over and over again in the Old Testament. But yet the disciples asked that question, even after seeing everything as they follow Jesus. And this passage answers that question. So I like to do these together. I think it's, um, well, I think there's a reason Mark orders it this way. So let's dig in. Mark chapter 5. And the first thing that we see is we're going to see the state of a man that is held captive by evil spirits. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, that is Jesus, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit, that's an evil spirit, met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And that word there for subdue, it's, it's more like taming a wild animal. The, the text is setting up this picture that this man isn't even really a man anymore. He's a wild animal. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Gashing himself with stones. That's the state of a man that is held captive by evil spirits here. Living among the tombs. He's, he's situated among the dead. He's placed physically among the dead. He's outcast from his family, his friends, from society. He screams night and day. He's gashing at himself with stones. Tearing chains. People have tried to bind him, but they can't hold him. They can't control him. He's tearing chains and shackles away. He's tearing his clothes. That's the picture of the man that we see here that is under the influence of evil spirits. What a deplorable state it is. It's quite sad. And look, verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. There's your answer to that question. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? He's the son of the most high God. And isn't it interesting that this man rushes up bows down before Jesus, and the demons respond in a way that, that the disciples couldn't. The disciples didn't fully grasp who Jesus was, but the demons know. He is the Son of the Most High God. Isn't that interesting? And they say, uh, I implore you, by God, do not torment me. 
For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, we're not even dealing with, you know, a minor exorcism. I don't know if those exist, but, like, this is no single evil spirit. This is many evil spirits. In fact, uh, the word legion there refers to uh, kind of a, a Roman, uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a Roman military occupation that would be about 6,000 people. That's legion. We are legion, for we are many. That's how the demons respond to him. Now, at first glance, you might be thinking, oh boy, we're going to get a sermon about exorcism. It's really not that exciting. It has nothing to do with what uh, our 21st century context is today, so I'm just going to snooze for a little while. Um, oh, I hope that's not the case. But uh, some of you may be thinking that. But I- I'm going to submit to you that our state, our nature, is not so different from this man before being freed in Christ. In fact, uh, let me show you what I mean. Uh, turn a few pages more uh, to the book of Ephesians. Shouldn't be too far. Ephesians chapter 2. As you turn there, we're going to see what the Bible says about our state before Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That doesn't sound too far off from, from this other man. Situated among death, that you are dead in your trespasses, that you're under the power of the prince of the air, that's a reference to Satan. That you see evil spirits working in the sons of disobedience? Before placing your faith in Christ, if you are in Christ today, that's the state that you were in. That's what Ephesians is making the case for right here. But look, if you've placed your faith in Christ... If you have said, that Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I I need you to save me. And I believe in you. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You've been transferred from death to life. Christ raises us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace 
and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result result of works, so that no one may boast. Our state before Jesus is not too far off from this other man. In fact, look a little bit more, uh, just a couple more pages. Flip just a couple more pages to the uh, book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And if you missed Steve's uh, sermons through the book of Colossians, I encourage you to go to the website, go back and and listen through them. He, He does a wonderful job walking through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, skip to verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before Jesus, you are held captive. You are a prisoner in the domain of darkness under the influence of evil, evil spirits. That's just true. And you may think that, you know, there's not demonic uh, possession or demonic influence at work today. Not, certainly not in the same way that we see here in, in Mark chapter 5. I don't know. I think there very well may be, and there probably is. But at any rate, if you are someone that's like, well, I've never experienced that, you certainly have been a part of the kingdom of darkness. And that is what I'm trying to show you today. Whether you're there now or you have been transferred to the kingdom of light because of your faith in Jesus, that is a reality of all of us. That is a part of our story of the human condition. And if you are someone that has not placed your faith in Christ, that has not said, God, I need you, please do so today. Do that. If you're unsure about it, please come talk to me or Steve or Joe or, 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 or one of the elders. We'd love to talk with you about it. But the point of this is to say that our condition is not too far off from the man that is in Mark chapter 5. It is a sad, sad condition. It is one that is characterized by being held captive by evil. Being held captive by evil. Skip a little further down in Colossians 1, and it'll it'll really uh, show you that this is true. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Formerly alienated, set apart, Push to the fringes. You have no part with God. You have no part with society. Alienated. Hostile in mind. Engaged in evil deeds. That sounds really similar to this man in Mark chapter 5. But praise be to God that Jesus reconciles us in his fleshly body through death so that we can be presented as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. See, a lot of times when, we, when we're thinking about salvation, we think about it uh, primarily as a, uh, uh, in, in what we've been saved from. 
We've been saved from our sins. We've been saved from our past. We've been saved from the powers of evil. But we don't think often what we are saved to. We are saved to a life with God that is characterized by growing more and more into the image of Christ, being made holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And that is an exciting thing. All right, turn back, turn back to Mark. Mark chapter 5. Turn back there. Now, as you turn back, I want to let this set the scene a little bit by what I mean by when I see Jesus going behind enemy lines. What's happened so far in Mark? Well, Jesus has been preaching. He's been doing miracles, primarily in Capernaum, right? He gets in a boat. He crosses the Sea of Galilee. He arrives in the country of the Gerasenes. It's a Gentile land. Apart from God. Pagan. Different. In a little bit, we're going to see that they're raising pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs are unclean animals. Certainly a rabbi wouldn't have anything to do with pigs, right? There's unclean spirits, that is evil spirits. If you just read the text, you see unclean, 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 unclean. And yet Jesus moves into this area. to save someone who is held captive. He's going behind enemy lines. I think that's really exciting. And it just shows that there is no boundary that is beyond the power of God. There is no boundary that is beyond the power of God. Jesus moves into this space where you would not expect to see God at work, and you see God work. And it's amazing. All right, let's, let's continue reading. Uh, verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits, the evil spirits, entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. And they were drowned. I find it really interesting, uh, this section, there's, there's a couple things that I'd like to point out that I really want you to see. First, isn't it really interesting that the demons bargain with God here? They bargain with Jesus. And they say, please don't torment us, right? And, and if you read the parallel passage in Matthew, it might give you a glimpse into why. Matthew actually talks about that it's not the time. See, because if you're reading your Bible and you understand what God is doing in the world, there will be a time when Satan and his demons are destroyed. But it's not the time yet here. So maybe that's why they were bargaining with him. That's the first thing. The second thing that I find really interesting. Jesus grants their request. He doesn't have to. He actually shows grace and mercy even to the demons here. He grants their request. In fact, if you read this passage, there are several requests made throughout this passage, and the only request that he does not grant is that of the man whom he sets free. It's kind of interesting. At least I think it's interesting. So he gives them permission, and they go into this herd of pigs. 
and the pigs run down the cliff and they end up destroying themselves. That's the third thing that I find really interesting. The demons don't want to be destroyed. So they ask to be sent out into the pigs. Jesus gives them permission. And the pigs run down the steep bank and drown themselves. And the, the, the actual language is something more like one by one are drowning themselves. It's pretty amazing. Now, uh, I, I, I want to take a moment and, and talk about this because uh, in our culture, sometimes uh, we get this idea that like, oh, those poor pigs. It's so sad. Uh, uh, maybe Jesus was being mean by killing all those animals. Why, why did that have to happen? And there becomes this empathetic view for these animals. I, I don't want to say that empathy is wrong for animals. It's not. That's, not. that's not what I'm trying to say. But you need to understand it in the context that it's placed and what's actually going on here. So there's a few things that I want you to note. Okay, pigs. How are they viewed in Jewish culture, you know, because when we say pigs today, most of the time we're like, bacon. I'm cool with that. That ain't too bad, you know. Uh, but in the Jewish culture, it represented something very different. Pigs were unclean animals. Uh, they were uh, not to be, um, you know, Jews, Jews and pigs didn't mix because of the uncleanness of the animal. Uh, but more than that, in the cultural context, pigs would, would have been uh, viewed as, as pagan, and uh, they would be viewed with persecution. And why do I say that? Well, uh, we have some record of why that would be, particularly in this, in this cultural context. If you uh, read the book of 2 Maccabees, and I want to say uh, the book of 2 Maccabees is not inspired by the Holy Spirit in the same way that Scripture is inspired, okay? But it is, uh, can still be helpful to us in understanding the history and the culture of the day. It, it was uh, written in the intertestamental period. That's the 400-year period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And all it does is it helps set the stage for you to understand what's going on in this New Testament context. Well, in the book of 2 Maccabees, it talks about uh, this, uh, this king that begins to take over and oppress uh, the Jewish people. Uh, and this is uh, King Antiochus. Uh, Antiochus IV, I think, uh, or, or known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay? And he, he oppresses the Jewish people. Okay? He tries to get them to defect from their faith. And that's where we, we get uh, this idea of the Maccabean revolt. That's what happens. They revolt against this rule. Okay? What does it have to do with pigs? One of the ways that he would uh, persecute the Jews is he would uh, force-feed them pig flesh. And it probably wasn't like all cooked and nice bacon like we, we think of now, but he would force-feed them pig flesh because he knew that that was against their religious beliefs. And the other thing that he would do is in public, he would, uh, all, he he would offer it to them and all they would have to do is partake of it and eat it. And then they wouldn't be tortured, right? It was a threat of torture to deny their God, to deny the laws in which they were raised, and basically say, I'd rather deny God than be tortured. That was the, the cultural context for what was happening. So you can imagine the disciples having crossed this lake with Jesus beginning to learn more and more about who Jesus is and the power of God being manifest in him, now seeing this, a man that is held captive by demonic influence, 
and there's all these pigs. And you see the demons destroyed along with the pigs. That's the cultural context that's actually going on. And I want you to know, it's not like God doesn't care about the pigs, right? What do we learn when Jesus talks about the sparrows? When Jesus talks about that you are more important than the sparrows, like God cares for the birds of the air, how much more will he care for you? It's not saying that God doesn't care about animals. It's saying God cares about humanity more. You are more important than the birds of the air. In fact, one way to think about this passage is it's Jesus declaring that that man that has been marginalized, that has been pushed to the fringes, that has been uh, pushed aside by family, friends, and society, that man is more important than 2,000 pigs, which would have been worth a lot of money at the time. So that's what's going on here. That's what happens. We see the state of a man. We see that our own state before Jesus is not that far off. We see that Jesus displays his power by freeing the one that is held captive. He displays his power. And now we're going to see the response to that power. We're going to see it primarily in two different groups of people. The townspeople, they respond one way. And the man who is freed, he responds differently. Pay attention. All right, verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. And they welcomed him. And they cheered and they said, praise be to God that this man has finally been set free. Uh, you can re- rejoin our society and, and oh, Jesus, will you, will, you come, uh, will you come dine with us? Will you come show us the wonders that you've done here? No, that's not what they do. They became frightened. They became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them, how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. They began to implore him to leave their region. See, the townspeople saw something amazing because of the power of God. And they pushed Jesus away. They pushed him away. And do you know what the really sad part about this is? There is no record that Jesus ever went back to this region. It's sad. They see someone delivered from evil, and their response is to say, please leave. Please leave. One writer puts it like this. The townspeople are more comfortable with the malevolent forces that take captive human beings and destroy animals than they are with the one who can expel them. And I mentioned about the 2,000 pigs and that they would have been worth a lot of money. It's possible that that's why they were pushing Jesus away because what had happened was that they lost a prophet. And the same writer continues saying, 
that they chase off the source of their deliverance and salvation. People can tolerate religion as long as it doesn't affect their business profits. People can tolerate religion as long as it doesn't affect their business profits. Certainly, you can see some truth in that today. The reality is, we don't know exactly why they told Jesus to leave, but they told him to leave. Or they asked him to leave, rather. And he grants their request. He grants their request. You see, when you come face to face with God, and you see the power of God, there, there will always be a reason to push God away. Now, I'm not telling you that reason is a right reason or a good reason, because it's not. But you can invent a reason to push God away. And I hope you don't do that. Instead, I hope you respond the way that the man responds. Look at how the man who was freed responds. It says... Uh, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. The man wanted to be with him. It reminds me of, uh, of, of Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus commissions his disciples to be with him. That's part of being a disciple. Part of following after Jesus means to be with Jesus. He wants to accompany him. But he did not let him. And he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And maybe, maybe Jesus left the man there because he was being pushed out of the region. And Jesus certainly could have uh, said, Whoa, 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 hold on. Like, I did this amazing thing here. In fact, look at this. Whoosh! Here's 2,000 pigs I just created. Uh, are we good now? Can I stay? Can I, can I free you from your bondage? Can I, can I help you? Jesus could have done that, right? But we don't see that. Instead, he abides by the people's request as he's being pushed away. But he leaves a man there. He leaves someone there. And what does the man do? And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The man joined the team. He joined the team. He, he was like, I'm behind enemy lines. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to engage in the same way that I saw Jesus engage, and I'm going to tell people. I'm going to win the hearts and minds of people. I'm going to show them the power of God that happened in me. I hope our response to the power of God, to Jesus in our lives, is the same as that. A response that wells up inside of us to draw us nearer to God for the purpose of being able to tell people about the amazing things that God has done for us. That's how we begin to operate as a covert agent. 
Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm, when I'm brushing my teeth and I'm looking in the mirror, I see myself just like putting on tiger stripes on my face. It's like, all right, it's time to go into battle. And I'm not going into battle armed in a way that you might think, but I'm going into battle. Because there is a kingdom of darkness. And I'm tired of people being held captive by it. I hate it. In fact, um, I want to share with you, sometimes, sometimes, when when you're a believer and, and you're following after Jesus, you can become prideful in your faith. And you begin to say, well, I've placed my faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm being made righteous. I'm being made holy. I've got it figured out. Oh, but those people, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. Those people are, they're apart from God. They're terrible. One of the things that I hope you see in this is that God views people as being held captive, needing to be set free. I hope you think the same way about people that aren't in Christ. God showed me this week that my own heart can be callous towards people that are living a lifestyle opposed to God. That's possible. But praise be to God that the Holy Spirit works in me to show the areas that that's not helpful. That I need to view people in a way that is helpful. You don't see the man here saying, Jesus... uh, Save me from this because if you do, then I'll do this for you. He doesn't bargain with Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, I'm, I'm doing pretty good at getting rid of these demons, but I've just got like another 2,000 of them left. Could you go ahead and just help me with those? You don't, you don't see that. The man doesn't talk about how he's Uh, worthy of being saved. He doesn't talk about how he's earned it. He doesn't talk about how uh, he's doing all the right things to garner God's favor. He is 100% held captive, and yet Jesus shows mercy on him. Folks, that that is the life that I want us to live. It is a life that recognizes darkness. Jesus doesn't say that, that, there, that it's okay that he continues to live in darkness. He wouldn't say that. Jesus recognizes the darkness and saves this man from it, transfers him from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God. I hope that's what happens with us. How do we do that well? Well, I submit to you that we have to recall and reach out. Recall and reach out. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you see in the Old Testament over and over again, and even in the book of Mark at this point, that the disciples are continually needed to be reminded of who God is. 
what he's done in the past, what he is doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. There is that continual reminder that needs to happen. So that's that recalling portion. We need to also be reminded. How do we do that? Well, you're going to hear it often here that prayer, reading the Word of God, and living in biblical community are great things that will help you in that. When I say biblical community, yes, I'm talking about being involved in a group and and coming to Sunday service, but more than that, I'm talking about living your life with other believers that can uh, help you in your walk with Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. But beyond that, how can you recall? Well, uh, journaling can be a really great tool. And specifically, uh, prayer journaling can be very powerful. And one of the most effective ways that I've seen this done is you get a little notebook, all right? And maybe you do your, you, you know, your prayer time in the morning and you do your uh, reading you know, uh, in the scriptures. And then you can have this little prayer journal, okay? And, and just draw a line down the center of the page. And on one half of the page, you write prayer requests that you have that you're praying for, and maybe that you know other people are praying for, and you can continue to pray about those things. And on the other side of the page, write down when those prayers are answered. Maybe put a little date there to help remind you more and more the work that God does in your life and in the people's lives that you interact with. That can be really helpful. Read, read some of the stories of the saints. And when I say saints, I'm just talking about believers, right? Read some of those stories about people of faith and how, how God saved them from situations and how God was found faithful even in difficult situations. These can all be helpful ways to help you recall what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. So first you need to recall. You need to remind yourself of these things. Be in a rhythm of that. But as we talked about previously, Christian spirituality isn't all about just praying and reading your Bible. I mean, that's that's all well and good. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm certainly not telling you not to do that. You need to do that. But there's another aspect of that, and that is the pouring out to other people. And that's where the aspect of reaching out comes in. This man went away proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. That he had been set free from a kingdom of darkness. And you interact with people probably every day, but at least every week, that don't know God. It's time for you to, to put on your camouflage in the morning. I don't know if that's how they put it on. I've I've clearly... All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. Get into the mindset that you are entering a battleground where people are held captive by telling them the amazing things that God has done in your life and can do in their lives and what He will do in the future, you can help join this mission to save people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I, uh, oh God, I just, I want you to help us see the world as you see it. That, that we would recognize that, that people are held captive by evil. And that right now, you are working. You aren't far away. You are near. And if we are followers of your son Jesus, we are called to be near to him and, and follow after him. That we are called to join in this mission to, to help Save people who are held captive. God, help us to see people in that way. Help us to, to show the grace and the mercy that your son Jesus shows. That we would call people to follow your son. Oh God, will you do that for us? It's in Jesus' name I pray.